What's happening? This is the Tap In Podcast. We are live inside of the Tap In studio. Man, I got a special guest in the building. Um, Miss Starla, how are you? I was going to go into a whole long... <laughs> <laughs> what's up? What's up? What's going on? Man, blessed. Grateful. You yes. Know? Every day is a blessing. So. Yes, it is. Thank you for um, for tapping in with us. I, I keep wanting to say coming back because everybody else don't know. But thank you for being here. You know what I mean? I yeah. appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. We're yeah. going to do this right this time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here's where I want to start because um, I want to call you a film producer. I want to call you an activist. What would you title yourself? Um, definitely a writer, director, filmmaker. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, activist. Yes. I use my art, my films and the work that I do as a way to elevate the voices of women who've been impacted by the justice, criminal justice system. Okay. And for people though, that don't know, you were incarcerated for two years. Correct. For Monday laundry or something, right? A bunch of charges. That was one of them. Okay. What was the other charges? Uh, originally... I was facing, um, in the indictment, I was facing one count of conspiracy to structure financial transactions. Um, and then when I didn't sign the plea deal and was heading to trial, they superseded the indictment and hit me with 13 more counts. And that included money laundering, conspiracy to money launder, um, the structuring charge, conspiracy to structure. Um, th they just basically divvied up all these counts. I was facing over a hundred years if I was sentenced to the max on each of these counts before I went to trial. Now, is, was that like a ploy to try to get you to, to cave in or to tell on somebody or? Oh, absolutely. It was a ploy. By that point, I don't think it was a ploy to get me to try to snitch or tell. Um, I think that window had closed. Mm. But it was it's, it's something that the federal government, I'm not for sure on a state level if they can do. The feds is a whole nother beast. So it's something that the federal government uses as a tactic um, to get people to take plea deals. So that when you say, no, I'm not going to take a plea deal, that one count, you know, I felt like I can beat this, but now I'm facing 13 counts. Like, how do I beat this? And then you're looking at the time that each count carries, which was like 10 to 20 years for each count, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. It will make somebody fold. It will make somebody that's not guilty sign that plea deal, you know. And when I, I considered, you know, to be honest, to be a hundred, I considered a plea deal just because of the trauma and the anxiety and depression that I was battling when you're battling up against the government when you look at your paperwork it's your name or I'm sorry the United States government versus your name right mm -hmm. so you feel like uh, the whole government is against me the whole U.S. government is against me um, but my biggest thing is when my attorney and I had a public defender um, because a federal case it's not like a state case you know they want 25 to 30 grand just to even look at your case and I would have had to literally give up everything I had to, you know, afford that. And you still could lose. I mean, some women have spent millions of dollars. People have spent millions of dollars on lawyers and they still end up going to prison. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest thing for me was, you know, I'm reading through this plea deal and it's money that's not mine. Right. Bank accounts, not mine. Millions of dollars that are not mine. 
pounds of weed that are not mine, guns that are not mine, cars and houses that are not mine. And I'm like, you, why would I sign for something, one, that I didn't do, and two, this doesn't, if you're going to make me sign for something, make it apply to me, you know? And at the very end of, of this long document, um, it says, if you take this plea deal, you will give up all of your appeal rights, meaning that I will no longer have any chance in court to appeal if I lose at trial. And I couldn't do it. And, you know, I think it stemmed from when I was a child. Um, I witnessed my mother get brutally beat by a police officer in front of me. And this was in the 90s before, you know, cell phones and all that. I think we had Rodney King. But, um, you know, social justice wasn't a thing. Criminal justice reform wasn't a thing. We didn't have, you know, social media for people to see what the cops are doing to black folks on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was looking at, they told her 10 to 20 years if she didn't take this deal. And she said, I, I don't want to be away from my kids. So she signed the deal. Yeah. And to me, that's that's just, that's atrocious because I was there. I witnessed it. I saw this cop be brutal to my mother, beat her. She yeah. never picked up a finger towards him. Yeah. She was walking away. Can you st can you tell people like what exactly happened? Because I'm pretty pretty sure everybody's kind of in the dark right now. Where were you? How old are you when you, when you seen your your mother get beat by the police? So I was eight. Okay, and where were you guys at? We um, went to a doctor's office. My mother. It was myself and my younger brother at the time, just us two. Um, he was about two. And she was going to a medical facility to seek treatment. I think she had been in a car accident or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but while we were in this medical facility, you know, my mother decided, because we had been waiting for hours and hours, that she wanted to get her medical records and choose to go to another doctor. Mm -hmm. And so my mother tells me to leave and go put your brother in the car I'm, we're, I'm gonna come meet you she says i'm gonna get my medical record she goes up to the woman who's obviously a white woman we're in pantago texas i don't even know if you know where that's at but a little small town somewhere outside of here okay. um and i wasn't physically in the room at the time when the conversation transpired but what she told me is that she asked the woman for her medical records the woman told her it's going to be 25 cents a copy she said i don't have 25 cents a copy can you bill me but i need copies of my medical records right now because i'm going to find another doctor um the woman you know didn't want to give them to her for whatever reason you know and she said i'm going to call the cops on you that's what she told my mom and my mom was like well call the cops like at least they can be more reasonable than you right mm -hmm. now so Biggest mistake. Black people, don't, we don't, the cops don't ever help us. Rarely. Rarely. Uh, and the cops get there. I remember seeing the cop pull in. I'm putting my brother in the back seat. And he literally speeds in, pops his car onto the sidewalk like he's coming to an armed robbery. Mm -hmm. He goes into the, the office. I mean, it couldn't have been, you know, a few minutes. I see my mother pushing the door open to come out. And then I see the cop literally grab her and body slam her to the ground. And so I take off running to the front door and I just start screaming, you know, get off my mom, get off my mom. That that moment is so vivid in my memory. I don't think I'll ever get that out of mm -hmm. my mind, you know. Um, and I just see this cop on top of my mother beating her in the head. And he's got he's got the handcuffs in his hand. So by the time that she get, he gets her up and sits her on the seat, she's bleeding out of one ear mm. and I remember well my mom tells me that I was screaming I hate cops I hate cops mind you I'm eight I'm right. eight this is my first encounter with 
the criminal legal system. You know, as a kid, you're taught that cops are supposed to protect you. But black kids, we learn very, very early that they're not Mm -hmm. there to protect you. So from that moment, my life changed and my mom's life changed. And I remember they took us to the police department. Um, My mother was married at the time. My stepfather at the time, we were waiting on him to come pick us up. And I remember seeing the cop and he literally looked like a pig. I'm sorry. He looked like a pig. His face was pink. And I think he had like one little scratch on his cheek and he was laughing about it. Mm. And I remember hearing them say like, well, why didn't anybody tell us that she had mental illness? Why didn't anybody tell us that she was on medication? So I guess she must have been wild in in that holding cell. I don't know. Mm. But they ended up charging her with assault and battery of a peace officer. Why they call them peace officers, I will never understand Mm -hmm. because they never bring peace. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from there... She signed the deal, right? They told her, you know, you that's could, the plea deal. Yeah, that's okay. the plea deal. She didn't, she reached out to the NAACP. Nobody wanted to help her. She reached out to a couple attorneys. Nobody wanted to take her case. Like I said back then, this was not, you know, we didn't have the Lee Merritts and the mm. Ben Crumps and the and we didn't have that. It just wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, real life back then. And so, um, she ended up taking the plea deal because she didn't want to be, you know, be sentenced to time, take a chance. Because, I mean, honestly, in Texas, do you have a chance in court if a cop comes and says that you attacked him? There's no cameras. There's no proof. There's nothing. All you have is witness testimony that can change and be swayed. So um, I'm, I don't blame her for what she did. You know, um, she did what she knew to do and the best that she could do at that time. So mm-hmm. they put her on eight years probation, which is a long ass time. Long ass time what, to be what on was probation. Her, what was her charge? Was it was assault and battery of a peace officer. So that's a violent crime. Even <clears throat> because he had the scratch he on had his the, face? He had the scratch. Yeah. And the thing that with me, with what I don't understand, um, well, I do understand. It makes it systemic with the cops. Um, is that we have human, our, we're human, right? Mm-hmm. So it's our natural defense to defend ourselves. I don't know if you just saw the boy that they tased to death, the man that they tased to death, the I teacher. I heard about that. Yeah, I, I couldn't watch the video. Yeah. Um, Sean King posted it, I, I saw on his Instagram. Um, and he had just gotten into a car accident and his body was, you know. Convulsing or Yeah, something? and they tased him to death. And so by her, that scratch, it wasn't because she scratched him trying to harm him. It was because she was trying to defend herself. If I have a full grown man on top of me as a woman, I'm going to try to get you off, regardless of what uniform you have on, mm-hmm. right? And so it's human nature to defend ourselves. But to cops and the system, it, we don't have those rights. Mm, yeah. Damn. I can't even imagine at eight years old having to even see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know the anger that I would feel for, for police officers, it, it, will, it will be burning inside of me, especially if somebody doing this to my mom. And I'm like, she is a woman, first mm-hmm. of all, and you are a man and you slamming her on the ground. Yeah, I will, I will be pissed. And so you think that that incident had um, any impact on you when you got in trouble with the police? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, the eight years probation, um, she, during this time, she got pregnant with um, my youngest brother. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they put her on, you know, she had to pay fees. And so when she couldn't afford the fees, they incarcerated her at seven months pregnant. Mind you, she's at the end of her probation, right? Mm-hmm. She's at like year six and a half, seven. 
So she goes to report. I don't have the money. I'm a single parent. The judge tells her, well, you've been having relations, so that means you can afford to pay your fees, right? I, I Make it make sense. So um, at seven months pregnant, they incarcerate my mother. Um, she's sent off to TDC, which is probably one of the worst prisons in the country. Um, and she gives birth to my youngest brother, handcuffed and chained to a bed. I have to uh, fly. For, I was living with family members in Florida. We had to fly down to Galveston. That's where she was at and get my three day old brother. So now I'm responsible as a teenager. Now I'm a teenager now, now, 15. Damn. I'm responsible for I have a um, I think he was six or seven and then the two year old and then an infant. At 15. At 15. My grandparents actually took the old, the one that was right under me that was there, who was two, when mm. that incident occurred. And then the youngest two went with me to my aunt's house, and now I'm responsible for these kids. So it stole my innocence in a way, right? Mm. And I, I didn't really get to talk to my mom at the time. She would write me letters. I probably talked to her on the phone maybe twice. And she would write me letters. And a lot of the stuff she would tell me she probably shouldn't have told a child mm. but she didn't have no one else to express it to so mm. you know she she would tell me about the fights and the and the guards and so i built up this fear of like jail prison system courtrooms right so i'm like i gotta go to college i gotta do right i gotta walk a straight line i gotta you know what i'm saying i, mm -hmm. I can't do this and then my dad you know he was kind of in and out my life for i'm sorry in and out of jail during my life for certain you know charges and things like that so i'm very impacted by incarceration as a kid um so i go to college i graduate do everything i'm supposed to do and then you know 15 years later after my mother's situation i find myself on the other side of the system and when that plea deal was sent over to me, that was the number one thing in my mind. Like, they're not going to do me like they did my mama. Mm. You know, I didn't have police brutality, but what the feds did to me was brutality. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so um, I couldn't sign it. You know, I contemplated. I prayed on it. I just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And my public defender, um, shout out to him because he's really one of the public defenders who are out here really fighting for people. He knew what they were doing was wrong. And he said, legally, I have to send this to you. I have to show it to you. Um, you know, they gave me like a weekend to decide if I wanted to take it. And I called him. I said, I can't. I can't do it. He said, I don't blame you. I wouldn't sign it either. Shit. Let's, let's back up a little bit. God dang. So what what even got you in trouble? Like, I know, look, what what, he, what was the, the beginning of what you feel that got you into all this mess? Where did it start from? So I will say that when your grandma or your mama or your daddy tell you that you can be guilty by association, that's real. Mm. Okay? Um, you might not be tied in you know with these people that are doing these things but because you know this person who knows this person who knows that person you can be in the fed system you can be swept up when they said a defense like did a sweep yes absolutely okay. absolutely so for me i got a call um in 2013, I was broke as hell. I graduated college in 2012. It was a recession. Where'd you go? Where'd you go to school? Florida A&M. Shout out okay, to my Rattlers. Fam you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, love my school. Y'all got issues, but I love y'all. <laughs> um, you know, I, I came out looking for a job. Um, I had a bachelor's in, I have a bachelor's in journalism, public relations, and there were no jobs. You know, nobody was hiring. 
Um, the crazy thing is that they tell you, you know, go to school. Then as soon as you get out, you'll get a job. But they're not going to hire you without no experience. You get, how you get experience if they don't want to hire you? So it's a, it's a catch-22. <laughs> but I just remember I was going from, you know, living at different family members' houses, trying to figure it out, trying to, you know, plan my life out. And I got a call from an old friend from college. And she asked me if I wanted to make some money. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to make some money. I'm broke as hell. What you mean? And she was like, it's nothing illegal. And that should have been my first sign there. But when you living in survival (laughs) mode, you're not questioning things like that. You know, and I feel like a lot of people living in survival mode every day of their life. So it's like, okay, she said it's nothing illegal. I'm trying to make some money. She says, oh, you need to uh, open up. You know, I had this bank account. She said, you need to open up this bank account. Open up this bank account. I she said, had you uh, open up three bank accounts? Two. I had one already. Oh, okay. She said, oh, she said open up these two bank accounts, um, and I'll hit you up. You know, I'm going to fly you out to California. Uh, you know, her baby's father, uh, she said, you know, I trust you. I, know I don't trust a lot of women. I trust you because I know you're not going to try to sleep with my baby daddy and, you know, whatever. It was all cap, all game. <laughs> Um, but at the time, like I said, I just was trying to, you know, pay bills. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I take this trip to California from, from, from Florida, Texas at Are the you? time. So okay. when I graduated from fam, I came back to Texas. Okay. Um, and so I went to California. I had my own hotel. I had my own car. Um, I met this white guy. We'll call him P. Um, he says, you know, he drops me off at the hotel. Here's your car. Uh, I'll let you know what was going to happen. And I'm still like, okay, I'm not doing nothing crazy, but like what's going on, but whatever, I'm gonna give me some money, you know? Um, so basically he put, he, I'm thinking it's him putting money in my account. He'll call me and say, yeah, P I'm Mm -hmm. thinking it's him putting money in my account. He'll call me and say like, oh, I had, you know, five grand put in this account. I had six grand put in this account i just need you to go to the bank and take it out and i'm like okay so you know i go take it out and i do that for one week that's the first time i go um and during this process i'm still looking for a job because i really don't want to be out here i'm literally up and i don't know you you know about california but yeah. up north north in that triangle which uh. i didn't know i didn't know about it back then but i learned about it afterward but i'm i'm up northern california okay so in the woods, I'm talking about them trees touch yeah. the sky up there. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't know that's where everybody was getting their weed at. You know, California's legal then. It's legal. So I'm not thinking anything. I see him smoke. It's not you can go in the dispensary and yeah, buy it, you yeah. know. So um I go back home, still trying to find a job, can't find a job. I get another call from the ex home girl and she's like, you know, can you come back out? And I'm like, Yeah, I can. Unfortunately, I still ain't found a job. I can't. So I go back out there for two weeks. Okay, let me, let me pause you real quick. Okay. How much money on that first trip did you make? Or do you I remember made d- pennies compared to, and here's the problem. When I looked at the paperwork in the case, I really got played. I was a peon, and I'm just being 100 with you. I was a peon. I wasn't the only person they used. It was several people like me that they got to do this. Um, but the feds decided they really wanted to come after me. So I think... Uh, I don't know, $1,000 maybe. Off of 11000 total that, that they have put in these two No, I think counts? at one time I had, I had like 20, the most I had at one time was like 20000 That you actually? Took out of my account. Mm, yeah. So, okay. but I, I, you got to understand, I'm just moving. I'm not counting. I'm not doing, I'm just, you know. Yeah. Um, 
looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I knew I was gonna go to prison, I would have robbed their ass. Not to be honest, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so the second time I go back out there for two weeks, and this is when I started seeing like, I like y'all something is up. I didn't know what. Like I said, we was legal. I'm not thinking nothing about it. I have my. I'm not in a business. I'm not doing nothing with them. I'm in my own space. You know, living my own life. Then he just called me and say, whoop, whoop, whoop. He come pick me up. Or he'll tell me if I had a rental car, go to this bank, go to this bank, go to this bank. Um, so what kind of tipped me off is the very last day I was there, um, I went into Chase. And the woman, when I when I gave her the the receipt, the you know, withdrawal slip? receipt. Yeah, because mm-hmm. at this point, some of the tellers... We're like asking me questions or what are you doing with this money? What are you doing? And I'm like, why are y'all in my business? I'm not doing nothing wrong. Like, who who are you to ask me about what's in my bank account? Um, but this one particular bank, um, I think I went in to draw out like $6,000. And they told me they didn't have it. They can only give me half. And I was like, what you mean you only <laughs> you got you a bank? Mm-hmm. And so when I came to the car and I told him that, he said, well, we're going to go up the street to another bank. So he takes me to another bank. So while I'm at this bank, I literally feel like I'm being watched. Like, it just really felt the weird. same bank? No, it's the same bank brand. Oh. Cha- or uh, Same bank Chase, but different branch. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember, like, feeling like somebody was taking pictures of me. Somebody was watching me. And it's so crazy because that was after that time, I was like, I'm going home. I'm not coming back out here because something is up with what they got going on. And I don't want to be a part of it. Um, and obviously my ex homegirl's not telling me the truth. Nobody's really telling me nothing about anything. And so it's so crazy though, because when I got my discovery, which is the evidence against you, that day is the day, the picture that they put yeah, into the evidence of me going to the bank out of all the times that I did go to the bank. It was that day that they had the the picture of me going to the bank twice. Mm. So, Fast forward, right? I cut off communications. Don't talk to anybody else anymore. I think they might have. He might have asked me again to come out there. I was like, no, you know, I don't have time for that. I had got gotten a, a serious relationship, uh, got married, had a job, moved to Louisiana. Totally not even thinking about none of this, this stuff. This is a year later. This is uh like a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half later. Okay. Um and. I get a call. I'm working at Enterprise Rental Car at the time. And I get a call, and um, it's his name was Michael, I remember, from the uh, Internal Revenue Service Criminal Division. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm looking at the phone like, what? And he starts asking me, are you such and such? Is this your birthday? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, am I in some kind of trouble or something? Like, what's going on? Well, you know, um, these people, they target people like you. He kept saying these people. And I'm like, what people? So as he's talking, I'm trying to piece it together. He starts talking about California. And I'm like, oh, but I'm not going to verbally just say yet, you know, on the mm. phone. I'm trying to put it together in my mind first. So, um, he says, we want you to come down and talk to us. And I was in Louisiana at the time, so he wanted me to drive like three hours to somewhere in Texas to come and sit on a recorded line and talk to him and the, 
the prosecutor and the DEA agent. And I'm like, DEA agent? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know what what's going on. Like, so, And he's like, bring any text messages and phone calls. And I'm like, I don't even have the same phone that I had. You know, like, I don't know what this is about. You obviously got the people you want, so why are you calling me? Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, I get off the phone. I'm hella scared. I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Um, I prayed about it, and I was like, I just don't feel comfortable going to talk to them without an attorney. So I had originally agreed to go meet with them, and I'm like, I thought they were fishing. You know, like, if y'all really wanted me, y'all know where I work, y'all know where I stay. Why y'all didn't come to where I'm at? So I thought they just was fishing and trying to get use me to get more evidence or whatever they had going on. I, I had no idea that what I was battling against. Mm-hmm. So um, the day I was supposed to go, uh, he called me and I said, I, I don't I don't feel comfortable coming. I don't have an attorney. Um, and then I remember hearing beep like on the phone. So now I know they're recording, but they didn't legally tell me they were recording. So I knew that they wouldn't be able to really use mm. that. Mm. But um, that's when he kind of started diving in more. These people from they were they uh, from Florida were putting money in your account and you were taking money out and it's over two hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I have a cousin in Florida. And I'm like, he give me money because I'm like, I'm not putting two and two together. I didn't know that it was people in Florida. I thought it was him. We was in California. So basically the whole conspiracy is that these group of people were getting weed, which is legal in California, and shipping it to Florida. Mm. And then they were putting money into people's accounts to pay for it and then having them take it out in California to go pay for the pounds. That seemed like a like a real intricate like plan. Like so I get the weed from California, package it, wrap it up, put it in the mail or whoever, ship mail, it. Yeah. All the way to Florida. Somebody in Florida deposit money in your in a bank account. Mm-hmm. And then they go and get the money out in California. Mm-hmm. That seemed just like too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's, it, uh, okay. And so while he's explaining all this to you on the phone, you still, it's still like, what? Like, I no. Yeah. I, I'm knowing now at this point who is attached to, right? You, you know now. Yeah. Because okay. that was who I was in California with. Mm. So. And these IRS, this IRS agent is out of California. So, but I'm still not understanding the whole ploy because I was not a part of it. So Mm -hmm. how am I going to understand it? Um, So I told him, I said, look, I I ain't got nothing to do with this shit. I'm over here living my life. Y'all obviously got who y'all need. Like, why are y'all bothering me? You know, I live my little, little bitty life over here doing me. And they got mad because I told him that. And he told me before he got off the phone, you will see us again. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you will see us again. Mm. So mind you, I don't know I'm up against the devil, okay? <laughs> I'm like, he just, he just, he, he, he not telling the truth. He just saying whatever he got to say. And again, y'all didn't come here. Y'all didn't come do nothing to me. Y'all didn't show up at my house, you know. So about a month later, I am at work and checking this old lady into her car. And I see this truck pull up and hop up on the curb and this, like, cock diesel guy hops out. He didn't have any kind of identifying things. And we had a truck rental next door. So I'm thinking, oh, it's a disgruntled customer. He mad about something with his truck. 
So as I'm checking the lady in, you know, he asked me or, you know, he tells me about my full name. Are you Ashley Starling Williams? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, he's, he does like this with his finger, like, come here. Like I'm with somebody kid or something. Mm-hmm. And so I walk over there. I had a clipboard in my hand because it's back before Enterprise had them little tablets. Mm-hmm. And um, he snatches the clipboard out of my hand, turns me around and says, you're under arrest. We have a warrant out for your arrest. And I'm like, what? So. Next thing I know, these two agents, they have on these little cheap Dollar Tree-ass jackets that say um, D, uh, FBI. You know how they be having them jackets. They yeah. really, they really. Yeah, the, the members, like, yeah, not the members. They cheap-ass little yeah. jackets anyway. But um, <laughs> so this lady comes over. She starts patting me down and putting me in handcuffs. Mind you, I'm at work. This is in the front of my office. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? You know, so I'm like, well, can you get my stuff? Like I had, you know, my my computer and all my personal property, you know, at my desk. And she's holding on to me, gripping tight. I'm like, lady, I'm not about to run nowhere. I just need you to get my stuff. So um, they read me my rights about four times. So I could never say they didn't read me my rights. <laughs> and then they put me in the front seat of the truck. Uh, handcuffed and put the belt the the seatbelt over me and w- when I get in cock diesel sitting on the left and he got the clipboard with my driver's license all big on, on the clipboard and he's charming we got her choo, 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 we're on the way and I'm just like w- it, it's really when you're you can't really explain it in words but anybody who's been in that situation it literally feels like a kidnapping mm. and so um, the IRS agents are trying to have a conversation the lady and I was like I don't have nothing to say to y'all um and so they take me down to the federal courthouse in lake charles because that's where i was living at the time and they take me down underground um and i just remember like everybody was looking at me so crazy even one of the cops was like what did what did you do like what what why are you even here yeah i'm like i'm trying to figure it out too um, so they had me down there handcuffed for hours and hours. The um, IRS agents, the crazy thing, what they did, they didn't, the IRS agent who was originally over the case, he didn't come down. Mm. He sent two IRS agents from New Orleans that knew nothing about my case. So as they're talking to me, I keep asking this woman, what am I here for? What are my charges? She got to go look at her paperwork mm-hmm. to even tell me what I'm being arrested for. She don't know. So they start questioning me, writing stuff down. You know, there's no, they're not recording video or audio, you know. Mm -hmm. And so after about maybe three hours of them going in, coming out, going in, coming out, um, they they leave. And then this uh, probation officer comes in and says, you know, I'm here to just talk to you about you um, so I can present to the judge whether or not you need to get out today or not. A probation officer? Like a so when you get on when you get indicted or um charged, you have a pretrial probation officer and then you have a post mm, probation okay. officer, which okay. can be the same person. Okay. So I was put on pretrial probation. Got you. Um so when I went before it was literally the fastest I think I've ever gotten arrested and got out in the same day. Like literally maybe five hours. Really? Um I went before the judge she uh oh i skipped a step before that the the public defender was assigned to me she comes over and hands me some paperwork and says this is the the complaint that's against you i'm look i'm reading i'm I'm like there's so many names in here i don't know these people like what is this saying you know and she's like i just need to make sure that you're not facing 20 years for the drug charges i'm like drug charges 
So it breaks it down. There's the financial charges and then there's the, the conspiracy to distribute marijuana charges, which there's no way you could charge me with that, right? So mm-hmm. she comes back. She says, oh, yeah, it's just the, the financial charges that are against you. But mind you, in this original complaint, there's all these other names of people whose accounts were used in the way that mine was. Mm. So I'm not understanding where are all these people? Why am I the only one that's being targeted? So I go before the judge that day. The judge is actually pissed because she's looking at the prosecutor like, what's going on? He looking like, I don't know. They just brought her in. Don't nobody know what's going on. She like, ma'am, look, I, you've been here living in this state almost a year. You have not even a ticket. I'm going to let you out. You know, they call it ROR, released on your own recognizance. I'm going to put an unsecured bond up. So you need to uh, go to California in two weeks. I don't know where to tell you to go. But talk to your pretrial probation officer so they can tell you to go. She was pissed. She was like, we don't do stuff like that in this courtroom. You don't just drop somebody in here on a federal case and, and nobody knows what's going on. Um, so I ended up having to go to court um, two weeks later in California. I had to go to court. And that's when I met the original public defender that I had that was really working with them people. Mm. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like... Does this happen all the time where somebody from, because I thought all the feds from California to New Orleans to Florida, I thought they was kind of like all under the same umbrella kind of thing where they all work together in some capacity. You know what I mean? They they can, but it's broken up into districts. Mm, So it's broken up into districts all across the United States. So obviously with this case, Florida was working with California, but it was California who initiated the case. Okay. So you were being charged in California. Correct. But the people in Florida was working with the people in California? I'm confused. So I was being charged in California because that's where the main people in my case were based out of. Mm, okay. there were, and then some people in my case were out of Florida too, but because they were shipping the weed from california and taking the money out of bank accounts in california it was a california case gotcha. but federal case okay okay that makes sense okay and so when you get to california you just show up to uh, what court do you even go to how do you even know or so as i'm driving <laughs> through crazy. the mountains um because it's fresno that's i don't know if, you know if you've ever been to fresno it ain't shit out there sorry Nothing. to anybody from fresno but a lot of <laughs> drug addicts and uh, but their courthouse obviously they make a lot of money off of that because their courthouse is beautiful it's it's uh, probably a million dollar courthouse um oh, wow. in fresno county but I get a call from the original public defender on my case, and he's like, okay, um, you know, you're going to report here. I'll meet you here. I'm like, I'm on my way, you know. So I get there. It was more of just an arraignment. Um, The original judge was just saying, okay, well, she doesn't seem to have a drug problem. She has a job. You know, it's going to all I need you to do is report to your pretrial officer in Louisiana. um, Let anybody know if you're going out of town, hand over your passport and we'll be in touch basically your lawyer will let you know what's going on so it was literally maybe a five minute thing that mm-hmm. i went all the way out the there California for. for right and so the original attorney i thought he was going to be you know i thought he was for me at first because you know the way he presented himself he was a white guy um but he wasn't for me so over time 
Um, I think it took them about a month or two before they sent me all of the discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was two. This is, you know, they had two CDs. Right. And so I put them in my computer and I went through everything, everything. And so what they had on me was just my bank accounts. Like, oh, she went this day, took this much out. She went this day and took this much out. So he immediately tries to take get me to take a plea deal. Oh, everybody on your case is pleading out, you know, and it looks like your cell phone pinged with another in the same area as one of the co-defendants. And then I'm like, I don't give a damn what pinged. I don't know these people. <laughs> so um, he, he, you know, then he calls me and tells me that he needs the, the discovery back. Oh, I wasn't supposed to send you all of that. I need you to send it back. So obviously I made copies on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And and sent it back to him. And I asked him to send me physical copies of everything that was going to be used against me in court. Um, And so, you know, me and him got into it. And then I remember this case as was ongoing in this process. I moved from Louisiana to Atlanta trying to pursue my film career. And I remember he called me. I hadn't talked to him in months. He called me and said, oh, um, if you don't take this plea deal, they're about to supersede the indictment and charge you with drug charges. I'm like, there's no possible way they can charge me with drug charges. So do whatever you got to do, sir, because I'm not taking a plea. Yeah. And as the the public defender, don't you think that you would be able to somehow like you have an idea like, you know, that they shouldn't be charging her with this. So why are you even? I'm going to tell you something. I, I know. I know what the public defender's job is versus what their agenda is you know what i mean i i get that but at least play like you trying to help no me. they don't give a damn <laughs> um you know to be honest i was very blessed to have to because the public defender that ended up representing me he was the second attorney on my case mm. and this the original one was the lead attorney so what happens is when you get ready to go to trial they put a team behind you right you have mm-hmm. your you have two public defenders and then same as if you were paying for a, a, a paid attorney. attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your uh, paralegal, you have your investigative person, you have all of these people on your team. Um, and so months had went by. This was probably like July. I get a call in, I think, like six months later in December from my cousin, the same cousin who I was like, oh, my cousin gives me money. Not because at that time, I'm not thinking that this is going to transpire this way. This cousin was playing Major League Baseball at the time. So he had some celebrityism. He had money. But we was I was plexed up. I me and him, we fell out. We weren't cool by this point. And so Because I, of this situation? No, or, because um, of something. our family situation. Uh, okay. How he did my family. He basically I mean, that's a whole nother story, but he disowned everybody. My grandparents were sick, didn't want to help with them, like just a lot of shit. Mm. The uh let me what how do I say this? The basically the the black athlete story that gets the white woman and then turns his back on his whole entire black family. That's what was going on with that. Oh wow. Um so I get this call from him cussing me out and I'm like, Well, I ain't talked to you and so like what's going on? Finally he, he's able to explain that the he says the FBI, but I don't believe that because the FBI was never in my case. But the the DEA and the IRS flew from California mm. to Florida to go him him up and ask him questions because they thought that I was going to take the stand and say that he was the one that gave me the money, which was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So because he had written me a check, 
you know, wealthy people got their money a little different. You know, usually he would give me cash. Back when we were cool, we were actually getting ready to go on a trip. And I was broke. I said, because I can't go on this trip with y'all if you don't help me get this passport, <laughs> right? So he ended up, he usually would give me cash. He ended up writing me a check. So because they went through my whole bank accounts from a certain amount of years, they saw this check. They reached out to the accountant people that were on the check, then got a hold of him and then went to question him. Mm. So in his mind, because he's already got all these these white people in his head about what his family is and ain't, mm-hmm. you know, he's looking at it like, oh, she's setting me up. Mm. And I don't know what he might have not pay his taxes. You feel me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, what he tells me is what, what hurt me the most is like instead of questioning, asking how you doing, what's going on, you know. He tells me, well, I'm going to testify against you in the middle of the season, and I don't have time to testify against you. I make $200,000 every time I step out on the field. And I don't know who you need to call, but I can't help you. And and they told him I was on the run. So he was like, you need to turn yourself in. And I'm like, bro, I'm in my house. Like, what? <laughs> turn myself in for what? You know, so that really, that, and then I know his, his wife had something to do with whatever, whatever, and how he felt, but... You know, that made me realize, like, this shit is deep. The feds go after your people. They go after people you know. They 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 do so many dirty, undermined tricks to try to turn whoever they can against you. Mm-hmm. And his name was on the on the on the list to testify. But I my I never was going to take the stand I mean, and say what, that. What could he have testified, though? He that he didn't give me the money because they, they thought I was going to get up there and say that he did. Yeah, I mean. That would have been they would have been looking stupid in court if that if that was what they play was. You know yeah, what I, mean? I never planned to take the stand because that's the one thing you have to be able to control your emotions and not be angry and not. And I wasn't gonna be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So my attorney was like, "You don't need to take the stand because mm-hmm. that's just not that's not realistic." Um, but the craziest part about it is how how you have to be very careful how you treat people, how you do people. I remember when I was in county jail. Uh, this was after I, I was found guilty, and um, they used to slide the newspaper into the unit every day, and I, it was baseball season, and I was like, let me see, you know, because I'm still supportive, even <laughs> though you a hoe-ass <laughs> I'm still supportive, so I go, and I look, you know, and I see, you know, my cousin, they say he bids a farewell to baseball, and I'm like, what? Mind you, he still had many years in his contract, and I think when he signed, he, got, he signed for $214 million. Yeah. So if you was really for me, you would have really helped me in this situation. You know, I didn't go to him asking him for anything. It wasn't about that. But the fact that he did that and then, you know, I saw that and I was like, I don't ever have joy in other people's pain or whatever. But it just shows you that you 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 got you reap what you sow. You mm. know what I'm saying? So I remember calling home like, what's going on? And everybody <laughs> like, yeah, it's over for him. It's over. <laughs> I was like, damn. Did he get hurt or he just retired? Yeah, he got hurt. He got hurt. Uh, so he had to retire. He had like some, some I don't know, next stuff. I don't remember what it was exactly. But uh, he ended up having surgery. It didn't work. And so he had to retire. So he's still rich. I mean, it is. Yeah, dead. but he ain't $214 million. No, no. <laughs> he didn't get all of that because the contract wasn't over yet. But, yeah, you know, it's just the things that they do. And and the craziest part about it is during this process, I started um, 
like doing my own like self di video diaries and taping and talking about the case because I thought that I would have a chance to turn myself in mm -hmm. and I was going to document like what it's like when you battle in the feds what it's like when you get about to turn yourself in and all of that and um so I knew that I wanted to tell my story you know but then when I became incarcerated I realized that this my story is not unique there's millions of women who have the same story as me it might be different charges different situations but it's still the same story mm. of the government coming up against them and targeting them because they don't have the wealth because you know they don't have the power the affluence to get out of this they all the government cares about is convictions that's why they have a 98 percent conviction rate and that people take plea deals i'm part of the two percent of that prison population that wins their case on appeal mm. so you go to court go to trial excuse me you go to trial the first trial you found guilty mm -hmm. on which counts? Uh, 11 of the 13. And that was Man. only because the two they had to throw out because they, they, they did it so hastily. They messed up on the, on the chart, like the writing of the charge. It was, they did some kind of error. So mm. they immediately dismissed two um, before my trial started. But the trial is one of those things that... In, in my documentary, this, it goes way deep because the trial, that was one of the hardest things I ever had to go through in my life, to be able to sit in a courtroom while people demean you and talk about your character and make you out to be somebody that you're not and you can't say anything about it. It is it, it's really hard, um, and it really tears up your self-esteem, your, your mental, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so um, my trial was only three days, and it felt like a lifetime. And the craziest thing about it was they had the main witness who was uh, this the main snitch who got caught up and started telling on everybody. Mm. He took the stand. Um, P, he, he was going to take the stand, right? But my attorneys have found out that the government knew that he was still selling weed while he was on pretrial and didn't do anything about it because they wanted him to testify against me because they knew that he was the only person that I've actually Seen, had contact yeah. with like that and knew in my case. So my attorneys went before the judge, even as I'm flying in to California to, you know, for my case, they're meeting with the judge and the judge threatens to throw my attorneys in jail for contempt because they're saying you need to give more time this is prosecutorial misconduct which is something that happens all the time and they never get held accountable for it and so the judge says well no we're not going to do anything like that but the prosecutor decided we're going to pull him as a witness so but you mm. can't tell the jury why we pulled him as a witness mm. so when, when that when that kind of stuff happens in court right does does the jury know who pulled them or or is just the court pulled them the jury knows nothing unless they tell the jury really yeah and then that whole selection of jurors the one of the jurors went to college with the main irs agent on my case so he got thrown off obviously i had not a single black person on my jury a lot of the people that were on my jury they were Mexican, they were white. I think some one was Asian. Um, a lot of them worked in corrections. So a lot of them said, I can't be fair. Mm. I work with, with people incarcerated every day, and I look at them all as guilty. Mm. 
and they still keep them on they don't they don't throw them off you know and then the one lady who was the um foreman which is the person who decides to lead everything Mm -hmm. i wanted her off because we get to choose who can be kicked off you know we have a certain amount and my attorney he's like no i think she'll be good you know she knows someone who was incarcerated um but she was accountant and so when she came out, I knew I was going to be found guilty when she came out and she looked at me like I was shit under her shoe. Mm. And you can't, with my case, you can't, the thing with my case, there was four points that they had to prove. They only proved one, that I had bank accounts in America and mm. that it was me. I never tried to deny that. You had to prove that I had knowledge of the conspiracy. You had to prove that I had knowledge of the IRS report laws of reporting money um and then i can't remember what the last one oh knowledge that the money was from uh illegal proceeds mm. most people don't know unless you're wealthy or you are selling drugs that i you know let's say i give you thirty thousand dollars right and i'm like i want to invest in your podcast here's 30 racks and you say all right i'm gonna go put in six today you know i'm gonna hold on to the other and then next month i'm gonna go put in eight you know, because mm-hmm. I got to buy this. And then the next month, I'm going to go, that's illegal. You can't do that. You can't that is, separate you it? You can't separate it. They want to know how much money you have. So if I go and put in 30000 the bank has to, they fill out this form that they send to the IRS. Over 10000 Over right? 10000 Yeah. Right? But if I break it up, that is structuring. So that was my charge is structuring conspiracy to structuring and the money laundering conspiracy to money laundering. Mm. You don't know that unless you 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 work in a bank. Right. Nobody <laughs> knows that. Like, I, you know what I mean? No, the bank tellers didn't tell me, hey, girl, this is illegal. You might want to not do this. Nobody said anything. But they on the back end filling out forms on your ass. And the one thing that brought a red flag up about my case is that so in Florida, the white guy who was putting money into my account, he put a fraudulent $100 bill into my account. And this is from a testimony from one of the bank tellers. In that fra- in that money, they never said, oh, you, you know, when you put in fake money, they, you're not, they're not supposed to let you leave. Mm-hmm. So that's why I felt like something was going on because, like, how do, you, how do you let him leave out of the bank? You don't contact me and say somebody tried to put fake money in your account. I have no clue. But then... These years later, it pulls. It's a red flag because oh, they tried to put fake money into your account. How was that your fault? I, that's what I don't understand. Cause I know. <laughs> I don't know. I went. I remember I went to the bank and I was trying uh, to deposit through the ATM a hundred dollar bill, and for some reason it just wouldn't take. So I went inside and I was like, "Can you check this money? Cause I don't know. It, it's not taking outside. I don't know what's going on." And the black lady was like. You better hope it's real. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why? What? What's going on? But I had just left another bank, but I was trying to move my money. She's like, you better hope it's real. And I'm just like, could I, would I have got in trouble or something for that? Like, if it was fake? Because I'm I like. I mean, George Floyd died behind some fake 20s, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and they're supposed to hold you in there, in whatever, you know, in the bank or wherever store or whatever. They're supposed to hold you. So that the cops can come and I guess they question you because obviously people are going to get fake money. It's passed around, you know, but they want to know, are you the one making the money? Mm, So, yeah, you could have gotten in trouble 
You know, but I feel like they should have called me. How you going? How you going? How you let somebody else put some money in my account? Then you blame me about it. And then you let him walk out the bank. So you involved. <laughs> so how you testifying against me? You still got your job at Wells Fargo, bank teller. Mm-hmm. And and then she testified that the money they sometimes they couldn't even put the money back in rotation because it smelled too much like weed. But you're still doing business with this person who's right. coming into your bank on a regular basis. So now. I don't know if you have noticed, but a lot of these banks don't let you put cash if you don't have a bank account or you don't show your ID or you don't. Um, they don't come let in. you like cash the check, or they don't. They let don't you let you put cash into people's bank account. Like my mama got Chase, oh. I can't go and put cash into her account because I don't have an account with them, which they won't let oh. me get an account with them. But that's another story. But I have to go get a money order. So now that's why these cash apps and all Venmo and all that is popping because. Uh, the way that they do it got you yeah okay so after you go to court they sentence you to how many years so after my trial i'm found guilty um oh the biggest thing about that was the main witness was like oh i don't know her but i heard from this person about heard from this person about a black girl named ashley now that's my first name i go by starlet that was enough to convince a jury to convict me I thought I was going to walk out of that courtroom that day. I didn't. They immediately snatched me from my life that day. I was taken to Fresno County Jail, which is the sister jail to Alcatraz. Literal bars. Bars. Okay. Um, I sat in county for six months before my sentencing date. So because people had taken plea deals, um, they couldn't sentence me more um, than five years, which I didn't know until afterward. Because once they started sentencing other co-defendants, they can't, um, they're not legally, technically supposed to sentence you more than the max that the main person got. Mm. The government was trying to give me eight years. Mm. Um, the, the probation people, they do this report on you to kind of get your background and understand what led you to be where you're at at that moment. Um, they said two years in prison mm. the judge sentenced me to 42 months which is three and a half mm. and you had never been in trouble before this or like little i mean i've stuff. been arrested before um you know but that was the whole situation where when i was dealing with an abusive boyfriend so i had been arrested but never spent time in jail no so this is your like first time like doing some real time goodness mm-hmm. yeah i was scared I was so scared because, I mean, you know, you don't know if you you don't know what to expect. I'm remembering the letters my mama wrote. I'm trying to watch Orange is the New Black, trying to see what it's like. <laughs> you know, you hear you see all this crazy stuff and it's like I'm I'm not a fighter like that. You know, mm. like my mama is, but I don't I don't want to fight. I don't I'm not in the streets. I'm not in a gang. I'm not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, I'm, I'm scared. It's like I really don't know how I'm about to survive in here at all mm-hmm. and i really just turned to god and really just surrendered and just have faith like you got it what else i'm gonna do you got to get me through this you know and so i really was covered um by his grace and in mercy during this time because you know in county i saw a lot of things i mean I, I literally saw people who were possessed with demons like crazy stuff i mean there were they were gang initiation fights in the cell you know Thankfully, when I got there, um, God led me to this one cell. It was cell 11, mm. and it was an older ladies. Um, two of them didn't even speak English. They were they were Mexican, and then one lady, I'll never forget, Miss Vicky. 
I said, can I please, she had a top bunk. I said, can I please put my stuff in here? And she came and she said, um, I'm going to tell you right now, we ain't with that shit. I said, well, I ain't with that shit either. So we, I'm going to fit right in in this cell right here. And so honestly, that that helped the rest of that prison journey because she really poured into me and prayed with me. And pe- women were coming in there praying with us. Like, they were coming to get their prayers, but going right back out doing drugs and whatever. Because, mm. you know, they sneak all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just showed me, like, I'm really, truly blessed. You know, because there's a lot of women who cycle in and out of that. You know, and I remember being there waiting on a court date. And this women who done got out, came back in, got out, came back in. I'm like. The I'm hell? trying to get out. Yeah, you know. So you was in you was in the uh, Fresno County for six months. No, I was there for two weeks. Then they transferred oh, okay. me to Kern County, which is another very bad facility. Um, and then I I was in Kern County. Um, then I got sentenced, and then I asked to go come to Texas to do my time in Texas because my family was here. Um, so that whole transit process was very dehumanizing as well. You know, I went to um, a, a holdover center in Pahrump, Nevada. Then they sent me to Grady County in Oklahoma. Then the holdover federal center in Oklahoma. And then, um, then I think I was in the holdover center that's in Houston. And then I came here to Carswell, which is in Fort Worth mm. at the camp. Damn. Okay, and you spent how long at the camp? How long were you? I was in Carswell for a little over almost a year. I um, I lied to get into this drug program. It's called RDAP uh, because you get time off your sentence. So I lied, and I said, I'm a drug addict. <laughs> I do this, I do that. I just want time off, you know? Um, so the program for people who are uh, low security risk – they have to go to Bryan, which is the one that's at the women's camp. It's just a camp. In Carswell and Fort Worth, that's a, a camp. And then they have across the street is the medium to max facility. Where Where is this prison at? It's on the base in, in Fort Worth. It's right there. Really? Yeah. Why well, I never heard of this? And it's one. It's called a medical facility. So, so many women there have cancer. Um, transgender people go there because they're able to get their medication. Mm. Um, pregnant women, they transferred a woman during COVID, a pregnant woman. Um, she died from COVID given, after giving birth to her baby in Carswell. Yeah, it's not a good place. They literally took an old Motel 6 that's on this um, on their grounds and turned it into a prison camp. So there were six women to each room. Think about a Motel 6 room, six women to each room. God. One bathroom, three bunks. Golly, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. God, on one hand, I want to be like, well, it is jail. But on the other hand, I'm like, they're still human beings, though. You know what I mean? It got to be some kind of middle ground where you at least make this livable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you you just have to adapt. That's the only thing. I mean, women just adapt, and you just really don't have a, a choice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, honestly, at the camp, it, I, they call it cupcake camp because it was it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't as bad as being in, in Max. And probably if I would have stayed over there, I'd have more stories to tell because there's like a Cuban spy that's over there. Child molesting women oh, are wow. over there. Uh, women, baby killers, they call them that, you know, have killed their babies are mm. over there. So 
it, it's a lot of stuff that goes down. But at the camp, is is you know you get a little bit more freedom. freedom. And there's yeah. some women who've escaped and they never found them. They went to Mexico and got ghosts. Oh wow. Cause there's no fence like like no yeah, no yeah. the the one in in Fort Worth is a little bit harder because it's on the base but in Bryan there it there is literally it's the fence just goes like this mm. I mean they have fence around the compound but it's not you can walk right off if you one of my to. homeboys he was incarcerated and he was somewhere in Dallas we used to drive up park in the parking lot we used to see him on the outside. And he used to have to come on the inside, and that's the only place we could visit him. Like, we used to see him outside chilling mm -hmm. when we drove up. And then the only place we could actually talk to him, though, he had to come inside and go into the little hot-ass visiting room. But, yeah. And I know you mentioned um, your documentary. Can you talk about your documentary? Because I really want, really want that to get out. Yeah, so it's called uh, Black Butterflies, and the whole storyline, um, obviously, it's ba it talks about what happened to me, um, but I'm also elevating the stories of three of my sisters um, who did time in the feds. One, Tynese Hall, she got sentenced to 35 years at the age of 23 because her boyfriend was selling drugs. Mm. Um, she never touched drugs. She never did anything like that. He just used her house as his address. And because she didn't know anything to tell him, they sentenced her to more time than him. She actually got granted clemency in 2020 from President Trump with the help of Kim Kardashian. So her story is is very powerful. She, her son was three years old when she went to prison. Um, another woman is, is uh, Leah St. Junius. Um, her story was really... Uh, pop, well, it, I guess you could say it went viral in Houston because of her father. Her father had a, a home health aid business um, and put it in her name when she was 19 years old. And um, she got she served nine years because she wouldn't testify against her father. For what, though? Um, basically, yeah, basically he had a, so a lot of people get in trouble for this, um, had a healthcare business and they were billing Medicaid. It's Medicaid fraud, healthcare uh, okay. fraud like that. A lot of, a lot of women get caught up in that. Mm. Uh, and I going to prison, I realized that, um, like account, the taxes, tax fraud, healthcare fraud, they hem up black women that have them kind of businesses left and right and mm. sentenced them to a lot of time. So she, she didn't get any time off, really. She got some time off under the CARES Act, which, which it came out in 2020. Um, and then the other lady is Keita Haynes. She actually was referred to me by my attorney when I was going through my stuff and was like, you guys' cases are the same, similar. You know, you should look her up. And she ended up doing prison time because her boyfriend in college was selling weed and had a cell phone store so he told her and she signed for packages that were actually weed mm. she did three and a half years got out went to law school and became a public defender in the state of tennessee and is the first black woman to run for congress in her district in the mm. state of tennessee as a convicted felon mm. um and i remember i wrote her uh when i was in prison and then uh, I'm in her book now. She has a book called From Politics to or From Prison to Politics, uh, mm. Bending the Art. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon or wherever you can get books right now. But she, I'm in her book. She talks about how that letter I wrote her um, basically made her realize, like, if my story can impact one person, then at least it wasn't in vain. Because if I wouldn't have found out about 
who, her and the fact that there was life after incarceration, I I, I don't know if I would have made it. Like I was trading orange juice for sleeping pills in there. I, mm. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You you so defeated. Mm-hmm. You know, you think that you're going to find justice in this system, but there is no justice. It's designed for you to fail. Like, it, and that's what my film is exposing. I'm exposing the, that's why I don't really call it the criminal justice system because there is no justice. I call it the criminal legal system. Um, and mm. it's exposing these tactics and all of the things that the government does in order to get convictions. And to me, it's modern day genocide, right? Like with Tynisa's situation, you sentenced this girl at 23 years old to 35 years. If she would have served all the time, she did 14, right? Mm. When she gets out, she can't have kids. Right. So with men, y'all, you know, y'all can have kids later. You can mm-hmm. do 20 years, get out, start a family. Women, it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. you know. And then I don't know if you're familiar, if you've heard any of the cases, especially in California, they were sterilizing women. You know, they were illegally sterilizing them. I heard that one of, my, one of the other guys uh, troubled two times. He was a rapper. He came on. He was talking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I think, you know, with my film, my goal is to expose the criminal legal system because you can't focus on criminal justice reform until you focus on the mass incarceration of black women and if you look at the history we go deep in this film we go all the way back to when prisons first started and how what they were incarcerating black women for and obviously it was because slavery ended they needed free labor Mm. so they incarcerated women for like charges of uh, moral turpitude, prostitution, survival things. You know what I'm saying? Stealing milk, stealing like these type of things Mm -hmm. is what women were incarcerated for. And then you have free labor, which still continues today. They still make you have a job. Right. But I'm also uh, highlighting the fact that as black women, we go through these situations and we come out as black butterflies. We still emerge from this darkness, this cocoon to become something that you are like in awe of. Right. Because like, how does this woman come from all of this and still go to become a public defender? You working in the same space of the people that incarcerated you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? With my situation, I'm working for an organization where we help justice-impacted women find jobs, you know, use their voice, be on podcasts, tell their story, elevate their stories. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's to highlight that. And also, I want other women, black women and and other women of other races to understand that if you get put in this situation, what your rights are, what can you do? Because so many women... I encountered didn't even know what was going on there was a woman I met she was Spanish um, she didn't speak English they told her if you don't sign this deal we're gonna incarcerate your 12 year old son she thought she was signing for seven years she got 17 years mm. so there's so many things that they do and all they care about is convictions and mm-hmm. so I feel like if I elevate this through my documentary and let people know one we need to tell these young black girls that dope boys ain't it boo you think that you don't get in trouble because your boyfriend's selling drugs and you don't touch it? No. They will sentence you to more time than him mm-hmm. just because you don't know what he has going on. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. So you can go to blackbutterfliesdoc.com if you want to get involved. We still fundraising. We need money to make this movie, y'all. So send please. Some, <laughs> send some donations. Black on a blackbutterfly.com. Blackbutterfliesdoc, D-O-C. Blackbutterfliesdoc dot com oh okay oh doc d-o-c yeah okay. like documentary got yeah. you black butterflies doc 
Com. Yeah, okay. and we're going to have, you know, subject matter experts on there talking about it. Hopefully, you know, I'm trying to get my my attorney to come on and talk so he can give that perspective of a public defender who who really saw what was going on and fought because it's rare that a public defender will stay on your case like he did with mine mm-hmm. and go up. So we lost a trial, but we won my appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's super rare. So I want that aspect. You know, I have my boss right now for my job, Topeka K. Sam. Um, she's really big on um, helping women and reform. She literally just met with the BOP, the new BOP, Bureau of Prison Director, like, you know, you got to go in these spaces if you want change. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so that's my goal with this film is to get in these spaces um, and to to make people realize that just because somebody is incarcerated, it doesn't always mean they're guilty. It doesn't mean that they're not human, you know. And there are women who really did what they was charged with, mm-hmm. you know. But it needs to be a just system. The time needs to reflect. I shouldn't see a woman... That's 65 years old in a camp for a nonviolent crime with dementia, literally withering away, dying every day. Let her go home. Mm -hmm. What do you get out of this? You know, women shouldn't be giving birth while incarcerated. We need to end prison birth. Never in the history of incarceration and a woman being pregnant has she ever ran while, while she was pregnant or in labor. Why are we still handcuffing women while they're giving birth and shackling mm. them while they're giving birth or shackling them while they're in transit you mm. know there's so many things that i think the public doesn't understand i mean you look at me you don't really people don't think i've been to jail i've been to, i would never have guessed it never and a lot of women don't talk about it it's shameful right mm-hmm. it's so much shame and stigma that's attached to that and that's what i'm trying to change and i feel like god allowed me to go through this because my mama went through it but she didn't talk about it right Mm -hmm. she didn't deal with it so when i went through it i said y'all ain't gonna silence me i'm gonna say what i gotta say so now because i'm speaking out about it my mama is healing she's talking about it she's realizing that wow it wasn't just me not having my life together this systemic racism this systemic policies and, and this legal system they are built they are designed to keep you stagnant Mm -hmm. and what people don't realize is that if everybody took their case to trial right the system would break Mm, the system is not designed for everybody to go to trial for every no it's not designed for that that's why they try to get you to take a plea think about it you're waiting months years sometimes to go to court so if everybody said no i'm not taking no plea deal this you'll be waiting 10 15 years before you get to see a judge because it's not built that way. It's built to... Well, would that... Let me ask you this. Would that help them because are they just be sitting in jail or they have to try to bond out and then... Yeah, and so. to be honest, a lot of women are sitting in jail right now because they don't have bond money. Mm, yeah, that's a... Poverty is the number one thing that makes somebody become incarcerated. It's out of survival. People don't want to just commit crimes just to do it. Now, there are. There are people, right? There's evil in this world. But when you look at women, it's survival or it's based off of the relationship with the man. Mm. Whatever that relationship looks like. Mm. Now, we do got, you know, Griselda Blancos and that that happens. But that's... Lorena Bobbitts. Le, well, <laughs> yeah. But that that's not the typical, yeah, you know. yeah. Golly, man. So when um, you still 
uh, fundraising for the documentary. Mm. Okay. Um, BlackButterflyDoc.com. I'm going to put all the information down in the description. Um, man, thank you, Starla. I appreciate you coming and sharing your story with us. Thank you. And I'm a, I, I really want, I really want to, to make a move, a call of action. People, go to the website and even if you could just donate $5, you know what I'm saying? Just go give something so we can see this documentary because this needs to be on a bigger platform. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, if we if we could get a dollar from everybody who knows somebody that's been impacted by incarceration, we would have enough money to make this film. Man. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I put all the information in the description so you can just click right there. It'll take you right to the site. Donate just a small, just a little something on a bag of weed. Put something, <laughs> put, put five on it. You know what I mean? On the movie, man. So leave your information so people can get a hold of you. Uh, so you can follow me on the gram at The Real Starling. You can also follow the documentary. Uh, we have a film page too at Black Butterflies Doc. Um, my website is www.starlingthomas.com. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook too, Starling Thomas, but the gram is really where it's at. Okay, that's what's <laughs> up, man. Thank you again. I thank appreciate you for having it. Me. Absolutely. Yo, man, thank y'all for tapping in, man. This has been the Tap In Podcast. Gone.